0: This episode is brought to you by Toddle. Toddle is a teacher-built, AI-powered platform that's more than a learning management system. The founders of Toddle are former teachers who realized their workflow was broken as they struggled between systems that didn't talk to each other. So they created Toddle, a teaching and learning platform for K-12 progressive schools. Toddle goes beyond a typical LMS— Streamlining all aspects of teaching, from curriculum planning and mapping, to assessments and gradebook, to progress reports and family communication. This includes standards and competency based learning, student portfolios, project based learning, and much more. So if you're looking for a new platform or want to stay ahead of the curve and want the best tools for your teachers, check out Toddle. We've linked to their website in the show notes. Their team is very responsive, and if they ask, tell them Atlas sent you. Welcome to Talking Technology with Atlas, the show that plugs you into the important topics and trends for technology leaders, all through a unique independent school lens. We'll hear stories from technology directors and other special guests from the independent school community and provide you with focused learning and deep dive topics. And now please welcome your host, Christina Llewellyn.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are talking tech with Atlas. I am Christina Llewellyn. I'm the executive director of the Association of Technology Leaders in Independent Schools.
2: And I am Bill Stites. I am the director of technology at Montclair Kimberly Academy.
3: And I'm Jairo Cuevas, the director of information systems and academic technology at St. Christopher School. Welcome, everyone.
1: Hey guys, hi Bill, hi Hiram. This is exciting because we're still kind of getting our sea legs under us with this podcast. And when we were talking about getting it rolling, we knew that we wanted to cover ground that was both conceptual and strategic, but sometimes we also recognize that it's useful for our community to do a little bit of a deeper dive on technical issues. And so today we're diving into something a little bit more techie, Where did you guys come up with this idea, Bill, Hiram? Whose bright idea was this?
2: I will say that everyone on the podcast today is someone that I spoke directly with and about the topic of APIs, the idea of what is this application programming interface that you hear vendors talk about, that you hear people talk about. And it's one of those topics where everyone says they've got one. Everyone says, oh, we integrate with, and we've got an API that can do X, Y, or Z. And then you've got to really kind of sit down and dig in on it. And I'm going to plug our conversation that we had with Eric Heilman at Cirrus about data, because where this started for me was this question about, okay, we've got all these different data sources. We want to start doing stuff with the data. All the data doesn't talk to one another. It's not all in one place. So how can I get that data out and into like a Google spreadsheet? Well, you can do that with an API. But I have no idea how to use an API. I've never done anything with an API. So I reached out to a number of people, and I reached out to the three guests that we have on this call. And I'm going to ask them each to introduce themselves, and I'm going to start with Shandor Simon. So Shandor, can you introduce
4: yourself? Sure. I'm Chandra Simon. I'm Director of Technology at Beaver Country Day School. This is my uh, third or fourth school year, and we're about to start in a couple days.
2: Awesome. Nick Marchese, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Nick
5: Marchese. I'm the Director of Academic and Strategic Tech at Emma Willard School in Troy, New York.
2: I'm going into my sixth year, and I'm very excited to be here today. Awesome. And last but not least, Bernie McCormick, can you tell everyone about yourself?
6: Hi, I'm Bernie McCormick. I'm the CTO at Mary McDowell Friends School. I've been in education for about 11 years, but I've been in technology for about 25, exclusively on nonprofits after a short stint in professional consulting.
2: First off, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. This is kind of like the cathartic piece for me because it brings all the people together that helped me along this journey. And I'm just glad to have everyone here to really kind of share back to the community Part of what i learned from all of you and hopefully we can open this up to other people to really start them on their journey down this road as well so with that said i want to ask each of you and we can go in any order here explain to our audience how you first got introduced to using apis at your school and what are the ways in which you're using them at your institutions to really draw things out and make meaning with them? So we'll, I'm going to actually start where we ended with Bernie, if you could.
6: So I actually had a cheat code. I knew about APIs before I got to school. So most of my frustrations 11 years ago is with the systems that we had not having well-formed APIs. But the core systems that most schools use, a combination of security, identity management, communications email, and enterprise document, all of these things, there's a lot of replication that happens between them. And a lot of that was happening manually. And when you add people to the process, it creates errors. So most of the APIs that I'm using internally are around the vendors that have well-formed APIs and using them as source of truth to feed other systems that either have less robust APIs through a spreadsheet, the way you were talking about it, Bill or at a more programming-to-programming level, which is where more of my previous
5: experience lay.
2: Nick, can you jump in next?
5: Yeah, totally. You know, I like what Bernie said about, like, the source of truth is what we always kind of seek out here when we're talking to lots of different systems. My introduction was I've had some Google Apps Script previous experience with doing things with calendars and lots of other fun, fun goodies that we've all dabbled with over the years. And right during pandemic summer... You know, I learned about this thing called the sky API for Blackboard, And I realized that if I bashed my head enough times against the wall and found my way in, then like it would be life-changing. So I was able to kind of like pull on the resources of others, you know, ask folks from other schools who have done some proof of concept type work. And, you know, once I was able to get into there, combining that with some of the things that we already had in place, all of a sudden you had automated, you know, let's say calendar creation, but like now. Like rosters would be just automatically updates, right? Rather than, oh, they're, you know, 10 kids did ad drop today manually doing it. So that was a really obvious use case for me, which like anything when it comes to programming is like if you have a real challenge and a use case in front of you, it's a lot easier to get into it rather than doing it all in the in the conceptual.
2: Shandor.
4: Yeah. Early in my career, I was taught that a good system administrator is a lazy system administrator and that I should write scripts and code to automate things to be more consistent and accurate and spend my energy on other things. And so I've always been doing that as part of my job. But as the tools my old school used all started supporting APIs but didn't actually talk to each other, I started getting into using the APIs to compare data between systems and do some sanity checking and eventually automating some of the data flow in my school. And that made me able to be a lot lazier of an administrator and spend my time on actually helping teachers and students instead of importing spreadsheets.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. The idea of the reducing replication, anything that can make me lazier on all four, you know, just.
1: How about we just spin that to, like, be more helpful? Anything that can make me more helpful to teachers and learners, okay?
2: No, definitely. Give me the opportunity to provide more support to others in other areas. It's not lazy. It's just redirecting yourselves. But the source of truth, that's one of the things that I think is really a key point on all of these is those different pieces where we've got all of this data. What do we say is authoritative and then how do we leverage that in those other areas Bernie, I think you mentioned, you know, the identity management. I think that's a key piece of it. You know, what APIs support the ability to simply click that login with button? You know what I mean? That you can use across multiple systems. Hiram and I, when we spend time working, you know, with our own schools and with other schools, one of the things we'll look at is like, how many different usernames and passwords are you having to manage and keep in your head And how can you leverage something like for us at MKA, leveraging Google and using the APIs that are built in at that level to connect those in other ways? And what I think is really nice is in certain pieces with this, I think, Nick, you mentioned using the Sky API, you know, the ways in which some of the companies that we work with provide these real easy ways of saying, I've got an API, cool, we work with an API, let's just connect the two and go from there. And that at its very base is the simplest. And Nick, are there tools that you are using at your school where you've just had that simple, you know, we've got an API, we connect with that API, let's make it work. Do you have examples of, of ways in which you've connected those or other similar things like that? Bill, just to make
5: sure I'm understanding your question correctly, you know, I haven't found in our systems, two systems that have APIs that are directly connecting to each other, right? Aside from having the middleman, like a clever or something like that, or like a class link that's doing that. But, you know, that was one of those things that was really irking me this summer, right? So we have the summer list of aspirational things. And for us, we use Fresh Service for our asset management and Mosul for our MDM both have APIs. Both don't talk to each other. So one of my summer projects, which I will say there was a success at the end, was building a bridge between them. So I'm able to now, we can assign a device to a user in Mosul and connecting to both APIs, it automatically assigns it back into fresh service to that user. And when we put asset tag numbers in fresh service, automatically pushes them over to Mosul. And I think there's a lot more that we'll be able to do there, but It was a bit of a proof of concept that we we can build these bridges, even if there's not an official documented connection between the two of them. It's just a matter of a bit of a sheer will to make it happen and a little bit of luck
3: and a really, really happy tech who's willing to just like help you get the syntax correct. So one of the things that I found fascinating about the assembly of people here in this room is that I've had the opportunity to hear each of them present and one of the super strengths, it's a superpower of Atlas is its capacity to share. And I must admit, I've learned a great deal. I've, it wasn't until this summer. And I think Bill and I are very close in terms of our skill set, in terms of APIs. We're really just getting our toes into the water. And then this summer, I had a uh, data intern that that actually had reached out to Nick, who shared his framework. and We had some ideas from what Shandor has done, what Bernie has done, and we've We've started to make some serious strides in connecting these systems and having, you know, what is that authoritative source for your school? And and it's so important that that's not just coming from your office, but that's actually bought in by the entire school because each of the different silos that you have may consider themselves as the authoritative source. And it's so, so important for us to recognize that there really should be one system that's doing all of that checking behind the scenes. I'm so fired up with this conversation. I, I can't barely contain myself because just in the small amount of work we did this summer, I can already see you know how we're able to extrapolate this to other areas.
4: So I think what Nick was describing is really interesting that you can build your own integrations between different systems. That can be a lot of work. I've done that kind of thing too. What I want people listening to this to know is that you can start really much smaller and simpler. The most recent API project I did here at my school, we're dealing right now with the unfortunate situation around parking. And we wanted to know how far our students were in terms of their commute, like who can walk. And so I took a Google Sheet of all of our students and I wrote 12 lines of AppScript code that uses the Google Maps API to map every family from where they live to our school at 8 o'clock on a Monday morning and it will tell me how far it is in miles, how long it is in minutes. I can also get that same information for public transit, bicycles, walking, all that kind of thing, but it was only 12 lines of code. And I got that code mostly from a Google search on how to use App Script and the Google API. And even though I've done a ton of work in App Script with APIs, I still started by googling it and then it was just a matter of tweaking a little bit of code and boom, I had an answer in about 15 minutes.
1: You're so proud of yourself, aren't you? Do you love that?
4: <laughs> well, I love that when my associate head of school had this problem, I could solve it. Yeah, that's great.
2: Bernie, how about you? The approachability
6: is really a big piece here because there's a lot of technical jargon. that can be big and scary and, and intimidating for folks. Having the right access can sometimes be an impediment is not every user has the access to the systems that they need to be able to use an API at its fullest. But if you're a system administrator and you have the admin access to your tools, you probably have the access you need to the system. And I teach this to our high school students in our computer science. This is their second semester work is APIs. They've learned some sort of programming code in the beginning, either JavaScript or Python, and they're ending by playing with APIs. So it is approachable even to our students. So it's certainly something that any of the technical specialists in schools should be able to tackle. There's some great tools out there. API Dog is one and Postman is another that are really helpful in modeling these bridges that everybody keeps talking about and the ways that APIs can sort of talk either to each other or used to be pulled as a source to get into another system or a spreadsheet or, you know, the endpoints of what you're doing very significantly. I had mentioned in passing and Hiram kind of gave me a look, you know, a well-formed API versus just an API. There's lots of companies and vendors that are like, Oh, we have APIs. We have APIs, what those APIs can do, how much of the data you can get out of a system. Can you use the API to write data back into the system? These are all higher level questions that really get into the guts of what we're going to be talking about today, but at a very basic level, APIs are accessible and google Like, Shandar's totally right. You can figure this stuff out with not a lot of leverage if you know your way around a code.
1: And can I jump in to just ask a question about that? Because some of our tech leaders we know come from more the academic side of the house. So it might be fairly simple for somebody with a bit of technical expertise, but let's say someone really truly doesn't know where to start or even what the benefits are. What would you encourage. You know, this is kind of where Hiram and Bill were coming from. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So where do you start? And is that, Hiram, Bill, why you guys reached out to the folks on our podcast today to say, help me, please? But even understanding, I think, taking that step back and understanding what the benefit can be.
3: Yes, Christina, that's absolutely right. I mean, you hear about the API, you you learn what the benefits are, and then At that point, you're like, okay, so how do I deal with this? And there's never a one-on-one API course to really just grab onto. But when you go to enough sessions or webinars or you see posts from folks like Shondor, Nick, and Bernie, the light turns on and you're like, okay, all right, I can do this. And you start to ask questions and then you start to dabble. And then you start to truly see the power of that API to work for you at your school.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, I mentioned those ones that just talk to one another. So like at MKA, we use Veracross and you've got the ability to set up these connections with these other services. So to the question I asked earlier about like, do you have ones that you're using that you just simply push buttons and it uses the API to connect? Again, we're on Veracross. We use Ruvna for like emergency notification and kind of like some lockdown drills and these types of things. Well, there's a direct integration there. So they're leveraging the API. We just say... Here's the information you need, and I'll get it that in one second, but here's the information that you need. You can now get in and you can read all the information about who our students are, who the families are, who the employees are. So on a school closure for a snow day or a hurricane or whatever you might, you know, all that information is over in this system already. When somebody updates it in Veracross, it goes right over, you know, or if we run a drill, a fire drill, lockdown drill, we can take this real time attendance and it syncs up in the attendance. That's a great example of, at least in my mind, a system two different systems that are separate, but connected and connected through this API and this read-write access. And those, you know, you think about, all right, well, who do I want to share my information with and how are they getting at my information? You know, you think back to identity and identity management. Well, you know, the idea of usernames and passwords, you know, what does somebody need to know to do this? Well, you need to know, first off, again, that these do exist. Some of them are pre-built. They are secure. One of the things that I spent a lot of time working with, with Shandor on when we were going down this road of getting this to work is you actually have basically what is referred to as a client ID and a client secret. And that's basically your username and password for working with an API to grant access from one group to the other. So there's certain things when you start thinking about what do I need to know to use these at the very base level? it correlates very closely to the way in which we use existing systems already. So, Shender, can you kind of talk a little bit about the ways in which you've started to use these things? You mentioned being like lazy (laughs) and being more productive. Let's just go back to Christina, kind of reframing that term a little bit there. (laughs) But can you talk about ways in which you've leveraged APIs in your institution, not the how, but just the ways in which you've taken these things and put them to use so that you can be more productive and have more time so you're not having to be quite as
4: repetitive. Sure. Happy to, Bill. I've done a lot of different things. A whole bunch of them are just about getting data from one place to another or making sure the data makes sense. So an example of that might be we have a bajillion mailing lists here at the school that are based off of roles. And so if I know from my SIS that a teacher is in the middle school, they should be in the middle school mailing list. So I have something that checks that they're actually on that mailing list and if not, adds them. So there's a lot of little just things and doing sanity checks and moving data around. I also have found that I can combine different tools we have and build new things. So in my last school, I built a student feedback system on courses that used a survey platform and its APIs and our SIS and its APIs and authentication. So students hit my webpage, they authenticated against our LMS, and then their list of classes showed up. They picked the class and they were moved to the survey tool with all of the class information Pre-populated, so there's a lot of different sort of ways to put these tools together. Stupid little things like badging on the copiers every time you're issued a new badge number. You know, a new badge it has a new number and it has to get updated in the system. So I have a little script that does that every night. I've integrated in my last school our lockdown overhead building paging system with our door system to lock doors. So. I also want to pick up on a a thread, though, that you brought up, Bill, that sometimes vendors are using these APIs to talk to each other. And I would suggest that even if you're not ready to use APIs, that when you're looking at new products, that that be part of your app vetting. Because if they don't have an API, then other vendors can't write stuff to it. And you can't pay someone to write something for you if you're not ready to do it. And you can't write it yourself.
2: 100%.
4: So I think that should be part of the app vetting for any new system you're bringing into your school.
5: I think that's such a great point, Shondor. I think like there's some systems that were definitely in place before my time here, and like, I think I would have liked if that was part of the vetting process. Right. So that way, you know, you're able to go ahead and move that data around and make those connections, you know, kind of going to what you were saying about like combining different tools to like make us more productive, as we like to say. Right. So one of the things that makes me really not productive was the amount of times I had to upload spreadsheets into things like Remind or Apple School Manager. Every time a kid changed his cell phone number, things had to be updated. And those two things do not have APIs, right? But the life Sky Skype it does. So, you know, being able to leverage that to bring stuff into spreadsheets where you need to use anyway, and then finding some other tools like Microsoft Power Automate that can act as a bridge from Google Drive to those systems that have SFTP uploads. And I know we're, I feel like we're getting into the jargon. So um, hopefully we're not losing folks too much, but none of this, at least I will say for this piece that I'm referring to is much simpler than some of the other things we've even spoken about because that, this Power Automate system, if anybody else uses it, it's very drag and drop
2: compared to typing out code. We'll try to put all links in the show notes with all the stuff here so people can kind of go back and dig in on that. So
5: leveraging Sky API to, you know, build out spreadsheets and CSVs worth of rosters and then having this other tool that's free, free free-ish, right, to be able to just move that data for you. You know, it's not technically an API in that second half, but being able to combine multiple pieces to make us more productive. Let's say it's another great example that has been a game changer for me in the last three months. So now it's running every night by itself, never look at it.
6: Bernie, can you jump in? Yeah, and some of what Nick was referencing was what I wanted to jump in. We were stepping on each other. You know, the advice about making sure a vendor has an API, you want to be really specific about those questions. What Nick is describing, he used the word SFTP. That is an API from some people's perspective, it's not a true API. But it's the way that vendors have been doing things since the early aughts. The whole concept of APIs goes all the way back to the 40s. This isn't a new idea. It's been around about as long as programming, and even before there was true digital programming, because I was still punch card days, APIs existed. What changed is in the early aughts when people threw them on the web. And now suddenly you didn't need to have your computers on the same network to use an API they could do over the internet. SFTP is still the gold standard. You know, four out of five big vendors are like, "Oh yeah, we can do that." SFTP. So you're writing complicated code to create what is essentially a gimt spreadsheet that you're then shuttling from one place to another. You're doing that through scripts, you're doing that through some automations.
2: And Bernie, just to clarify, SFTP, what is that acronym? That's secure FTP. So FTP is file
6: transfer protocol. It goes back all the way to the beginning of time almost. It's about as old as web pages. And SFTP was like, oh, hey, here's this thing everybody's using. Maybe we should put some seatbelts on it. And it begins the idea that you have to have some security associated with the moving of files and viewing of files and access to files. And it's where modern APIs really shine because you're building that security layer. And I think somebody was mentioning, it may have been you, Bill. The, the ways in which data is accessed and the ways in which it's being transferred is invisible to a human, right? It's only people who have access to the code base and the services that could even get a look at whether or not it's working right, and they still can't necessarily get at the data depending on how you set things up, which is a good thing, it's a powerful thing.
2: And Hiram, you mentioned ways in which you're using this with your ID cards, correct? Yes,
3: yeah, so actually just to follow up really quickly on Bernie's comments, When you were talking about SFTP, I I remember the first time I was using FTP when I was creating web pages back in the day and realized, oh my gosh, you're showing the username and password in the index file. And I'm just like, ah, this is not good. We need a better way to do this. And that's when we moved to the SFTP format. So sometimes people just use the tools that they're given without even realizing the lack of security. So at St. Christopher's, we are actually leveraging BlackBot's API in order to produce our identity cards for the students and for the faculty. So we have procs cards. So it's going to work with our access control. So we've got an API pulling the information out of Blackbot into Access Control, into our card production software, and also into Odin, because that prox card has a barcode, it's got the chip and it has a mag strip. And so we've taken all of those endpoints and encoded them onto the cards, including the faculty and student pictures, which has been a godsend in that case. But one of the things that, as I think we all know, is that when an API breaks, everybody hurts. And it's so important to also maintain your your APIs as well. So to that
2: point, one of the things that I think about And we talked about this with Eric Heilman when we were talking about this guidebook around research in independent schools and the way in which you need to think about managing and mapping your data so that you know where all of that stuff is. So I think that plays out really well here because when I think about when I share data maps with people, I go with a traffic light model when I'm laying the things out. I'll lay all of the pieces out on the map. And then I draw lines, connecting, showing whether data is going from one system to the next, whether it's got an arrow on both ends, meaning is it one-way or two-way data. But then I color code them. And I color code them based on that traffic light model where you've got the red light, which for me, I code them as black if it's manual. That's what you want to stay away from. I code them as red if they're a csv file and i forget who mentioned you know just using csvs this is the way we would move data into these systems if we didn't have apis you will hear everyone you know just fill out this excel spreadsheet or fill out this google sheet and send it to me well that's a csv file that's just rows and columns of data that you need to put headers on and send those over so the csv piece there. As Bernie was talking about, you know, you go then I go into the SFTP pieces where I'll label them as yellow. Those are great; those can be automated. Those are secure. Those are generating those CSVs and sending them between systems in ways that reduce me from having to touch them. So very base level. Then there's the ones that I code as green, and those are the ones that are the APIs. Those things that are either pre-set up or that I can set up when I have the skill set, which I currently don't at this point. Again, why I'm friends with all the people on this call, because they have the skill set. But using those then to kind of doing that. So, pardon me, I think it was Hiram that mentioned, you know, your vetting process when you're bringing on new vendors and looking at the API's. This is great when you start thinking about all of these things holistically, when you start looking at your data across the entire school and you look at the needs that you've got whether it's from, you know, an institutional research standpoint, whether it's from the standpoint of having to create ID cards or just simply getting grades or information from one place to another, having all of those things mapped out and knowing what's there and knowing what you need to know for the next step for another system that you might bring in and what those is incredibly helpful.
6: Yeah. And Bill, to sort of take what you're describing one step further, I had mentioned a couple of different tools like Postman, which combine that design building, the visual design building process with developing the code underneath it at the same time. So if you think about Lucidchart or the old Microsoft tool that people used to use to make wireframes, like any of those tools, you're creating a visual design and then they'd hand that off to somebody and they'd go do some coding using the visual design. These newer tools are actually using standard code blocks based on API call familiarity that goes across all systems, right? And creating meta code blocks as you're creating your visual diagram. So it's saving you time and efficacy. Shondor, you had mentioned the time when you use something like that to sort of help save time in development.
4: Yeah, Bernie, I had this issue during COVID that we were trying to use Zoom a lot. I know, really unique story there. And one of the things we did was have a parent's evening, right? And every teacher was supposed to set up meetings a certain way. And there are lots of options, waiting rooms, not waiting rooms, passcodes, record to cloud automatically, alternate hosts. And the stab one at this was to ask, you know, like 20, 30 people to follow the same instructions and get it right. And that didn't work perfectly. The instructions were complicated. Mistakes happened. It wasn't ideal. And so I was like, I'd really like to automate the creation of these meetings using an API. So I'd never used a Zoom API before. And I needed to figure out, I knew what I wanted to do. Create a meeting with a whole bunch of settings for someone else. So, Zoom has some actually excellent documentation. That's always a good place to start. But you're looking at this documentation before you write any code, and you're like, I still don't quite understand how this works, how to do this. And you can use a tool like Postman. It's sort of almost like a web browser for APIs, and it sort of helps you fill out forms and sort of look at the results and sort of play around with the API till you understand it before you write any code. And it actually can write some of the code for you. There's a little menu like, write code in JavaScript for me to do what I just did. So it can make it easier, but really it's using these tools sort of to explore and sort of do this sort of wireframe of how is this all going to work before I go out and actually write a line of code. So that's my usual workflow is start with the documentation, fail to understand it, play around with a tool like Postman to actually understand it, and then try writing code.
2: Some of those things that can automate the process for you so you don't know how to do it. I mean, I think back, Shondo, to just you and I going back and forth on a number of Zoom calls when I was trying to figure this out, saying that, you know, just looking at the code and trying to dissect it, having something that can do that for you very simply and very easily you know, I think is incredibly helpful. I went from that conversation, really Nick to you, to the work that you were doing with the blackboard stuff and the Sky API and the way in which you were, you were making that work. And I want to put a link, we'll put a link to, you would put together a little screencast of what you were doing and how you were making it work. But can you just explain what you did in that project alone? Because that, for somebody that really doesn't, understand something or something needs something that's kind of like a what I'll call a low code way of doing something. I thought that was a wonderful example. Yeah, absolutely. Once
5: I got to the point with my experience with Sky API with BlackBot of like understanding it enough to be like, there's not enough people who have experience using this. And I know a lot of people probably want to be able to use this. I made it a mission to try and build out something so that I can share at Atlas Conference. And that's quickly started with me trying to build out a coding, almost like template, that folks could take with us. And then I quickly realized folks don't know always how to code. So that shifted into building a code set that's attached to a Google Sheet at like dropdown menu. So that way there was no coding that needed to be done by the end user. They just had to make a copy of the spreadsheets that had this drop-down menu built in, this custom drop-down menu built in. And all they essentially had to do was connect their instance, grab a couple of usernames and secret tokens from their Blackbot account, and hit go. And then, you know, kind of the proof of concept was lists, right? So if you're a Blackbot school, especially that's kind of what a lot of a lot of the stuff is built on. So Once you've got connected, it brings in all of your lists and then you can choose which ones you want to automatically be syncing every hour into your spreadsheet. Now that's 400,000 rows list, then like we might have a problem because, you know, amateur programmer over here. But it felt like a great way to get that hello world a little bit easier for folks to be able to kind of jump in and access the data that they want to be accessing. And at least in my world, And kind of circling back to our topic at the very beginning, the source of truth can often live in lots of places because folks don't feel comfortable in the place, working in something like Blackboard, right? So if we can get it into a place where they are comfortable, like a Google sheet, then it's easier for us to always just be changing the data at the top. And then they all work in something at the end with the Google sheet. That's been, I think a really incredible and successful experience and made a great, a lot of great connections with that. And I'm happy to share and talk with anybody about it.
3: So, Nick, we actually grabbed onto your presentation and did just that and one of the best cases we developed this summer, we had over 33 people onboarding this year and we automated our extension list that is on our on Saintsnet, our internal directory essentially. And so now whenever we populate that information, as part of the onboarding process, it automatically updates our phone list for people to take a look at. And that's all using the Sky API out of Blackbot. Bernie, I, I was wondering if you might want to speak about One Roster or LTI for some of our academic tech folks who probably hear about that when they're dealing with textbooks or various SaaS applications that would benefit from these areas.
6: Yeah. So we're kind of biologically exposing the need for things like One Roster in this conversation in the podcast because as Nick is talking about code reuse and like sharing spreadsheets, and Shondor is talking about ways that it's been used in the past, you end up reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. And vendors got hip to this, and they recognized, like, oh, how much and what kinds of data are people sharing about kids? If you're dealing with something like an LMS, you need to know what their class is, what the student's name is, maybe some other metadata. It's a pretty open standard, of things, instead of writing it over and over and over again, let's just build a library standard. And that's what one roster is. If you have a vendor that is one roster compliant, or that is touting that their API is one roster compliant, that means that they have pre-built their system to accept or provide data in a way that is standard across multiple vendors. It's sort of like a seal of authenticity that everybody can sort of oh, I won't have to do a lot of work to do this because it's very well documented. It's very well supported. They've dealt with the bugs of things like, what do you do when a kid has a tilde in their name? Or what do you do when a kid has three first names? Like they know how to do all of that because it's been handled by a consortium of vendors or a group of vendors who are saying, hey, let's pool resources and make this easier for our clients. So I think on the academic technology side, One roster is very often used to vet digital collections, as you mentioned, so if somebody's coming out of an LMS getting to a digital textbook, that's a way that the textbook vendor is talking back and forth to the LMS to make sure like, is this kid in a class that has the right license, go. Instead of the old way of doing things where people had to upload spreadsheets and class rosters changes, and oh, Jimmy's moving into a new history class, but now he can't get the textbook for three days. So you know, all of us are supporting learning and students And you want that to be as seamless as possible. So that's one of the places where looking at EdTech standards around data transfers in APIs really helps because you know you're not going to have to go out and build your toolbox before you start building your bridge. You've already got a blueprint for a bridge and a box of tools. You just have to kind of put it together for
2: your needs. Yeah. And that one roster piece, and Nick, you mentioned this early on when we were talking one of the initial questions that using like ClassLink or EdLink. Is that almost like that middleware, that man in the middle. I have data in system A, I need to get in system B, but I got to use this service in the middle. That one rostered standard and those tools like ClassLink or EdLink, they allow you to send data in the format that your system A has it to them. They'll transform that data into that one roster data and then move that over And I think that that's great. I'd love if we can go from point A to point B without having to go to somebody in between for a variety of reasons, from liability and just data transfer and all all of those things. But that one rostered standard that has come out, I think is going to simplify all of our lives. You know, the more our vendors can build towards that for sharing data. I remember at one of the Atlas conferences two years ago, we had a data group that came together, and Denise Muzzleway actually mentioned, you know, we should really push our vendors on this. And I think that's exactly what One Roster is doing for us, is it's allowing us to push our vendors to say, hey, we've got all these systems, some of them may be in competition from one another, but we need to get data from one of them to the other. And one roster or having an open API, you know, with well-formed data will allow us to do all of these things. So when you think about what all of your needs are in schools with data, whether it's using one roster or these things, I think it gives you some great places to start there. Nick, you had something you wanted to add to this? Yeah, I think
5: like that's all really great and well and good. And I will say like the one roster stuff, I feel like has been actually been around, right? I mean... Bernie, for maybe helping out here, like for a while. And I feel like I've heard the most about it, you know, only in the last couple of years or so. But, you know, at least in my experience with a lot of things, while we are starting to find that standard of like, what does the data set look like? They're still not directly talking to each other most of the time. They're still great. Now we have a standard way to download the CSV files. So until we get to the point where not only is the format the same, but also we can connect to each other. We're going to keep having this conversation. So I'm hopeful that we will get there. And I think there are probably good people behind it. But today, I'm not giving up
2: my APIs. Let's just say that. The one thing I wanted to ask everyone, just so that we can kind of throw one little bit out, and then I'm going to ask Christina to bring us home Mm -hmm. on this. What would be one recommendation that you would want to give people listening to this of like where would you go to start? Like, what would be the one thing? Like, if you're interested in this, what would you say would be that one place or that one thing? Shandar, can you start?
4: Yeah, I would say start small. Find something in a bite-sized piece. Don't try to integrate your LMS and SIS that doesn't have an integration, and I'm going to write an API calls to both of these things. Like, find something maybe like that Zoom example I gave something that is a relatively small problem that doesn't have an immediate deadline that you can sort of dip your toe in the waters or like nick has this really neat solution in google workspace with app script and sheets start just using his thing and don't do any api calls and just do some google sheet stuff with it and then when when you've gotten a little bit used to working with data like that build on it you know like hey can I get one other piece of data from another system and compare it with this and slowly build up your skill set? It can be really overwhelming if you just jump into the deep end of the pool. So just start small.
5: Nick, how about you? I appreciate that. Shout out, Shondor. I think starting small is obviously like a really important thing and like having a really tangible thing you're trying to tackle because if it's just all conceptual, it's probably not going to feel meaningful. You're going to lose the drive. So having something that you really want to go ahead and tackle, maybe that you just want to go ahead and pull in email addresses for students into one sheet, or you just want to go ahead and, uh, you know, see if you can even hit this data point on one of your systems, just like having something that's really meaningful to you because that's where that motivation's gonna come from. If it's it's just because we're telling you to do it, you're not gonna do it.
2: Bernie, how about you?
6: I would say the best starting place is conceptual, and we jumped right into some technical and observational. When I teach this to high school kids, I actually spend a whole 40 minutes just getting the concept across. And there's a company called MuleSoft that is actually used for building APIs. It's the other end of, of things when you're a software vendor and wanna build an API. But they've got a great three and a half minute video that sort of breaks down like what an API is using non-technical jargon. It is purely like, how do these things work, right? And it's meant to sort of kick off developers who are then going to write APIs for software, but it's applicable also to people who are learning how to do it. And I agree with my, my esteemed colleagues here, you know, having a use case, having a limited use case, but I'm also going to recommend having a deadline. Because of all of these overwhelming aspects to an API, it's really easy to say like, oh, I'm just not going to deal with that for two weeks. You know, having somebody say to you, whether it's an associate head of school or a vendor saying, we're not going to support CSV files anymore, you know, you can build yourself out a goal saying, I need to be able to get my procs cards activated or deactivated from my LMS, and I've got to be able to do it by the end of the summer. And that motivates you to learn the things that you really need to learn and along the way, you pick up tools that are then applicable in other places, and which is the goal. When I'm teaching this in high school, I'm not trying to get a bunch of high school kids to be developers by the time they're freshmen in college. It's to give them some exposure and conceptual knowledge, which is the most important rudimentary point, And then they can go and apply it to whatever they end up using.
1: I love it. Thank you, Bernie. That was a really great kind of reminder in terms of where to start. I think as I bring this podcast today home, we've covered so much about what you guys have done, some of your examples that you've applied at your school. So, what my question is for all five of you as we wrap this up is if I handed you a magic wand and you could magically have an API that would solve a problem for you, what would it do?
2: I'll jump in on Hiram's example. Because I need this now, and it's one of the things, to Bernie's point as well, set yourself a deadline. I need to develop ID cards for our school. So thinking about like the school's information system, the access control system, the point-of-sale system, the library system, I need to be able to gather data and push data to all these places. So if I had one that could work with all the systems that I need and was open on both ends, that would be what I would want immediately in order to get these cards out so that we could have this single point of truth that hangs around everyone's
3: neck that people lose on a daily basis. (laughs) Good answer. We have a special unique Situation with a coordinate program with St. Catharines. And so we have students in both schools. And so we're constantly working with CSV files at both schools. And I would love to be able to, you know, automate some of the data sharing that has to happen with the enrollment between two different site IDs, which is problematic in and of itself because it, you have to authenticate to two different systems. And this is a, a thumbs up to Bill brought up Ravna earlier. And Ravna was actually able to do that using a district model for our two side IDs for accountability, for crisis management. And so we actually see the boys and the girls within one instance, which has been fabulous. So when we have a situation, either teacher on on whatever campus can see all the boys and girls on their individual rosters, which has been fabulous. So it just shows you the potential and the scalability of an API done correctly. I would say my magic wand would be something
6: that could cause APIs to become well-formed. So most of the things that I have have some form of an API, but it doesn't have the endpoints I need or the endpoint exists, but doesn't provide any error handling. So your job fails, but you don't know why. And you know, it's like, I'm not dealing primarily with folks who don't provide APIs, but I have a wide variety. It's like a used car salesman lot of like what features work and don't, and you're kind of figuring it out as you need it. So that's what my magic wand would be. It's like, give me a nice, fresh, new 2023 electric vehicle with all the bells and whistles in place of the chaloppies.
4: As someone that just bought a 2023 automobile that has a lot of bugs, I'm not sure you're wishing for the right thing, Bernie. I will say I also am driven nuts by APIs that don't quite have the one feature that I need that their website has. But I think my real answer to this question is... There are some vendors that I don't think traditionally work with schools like ours, and they charge for the APIs at King's Ransom. And so our payroll vendor, I can't afford to get API access. I think it would cost more than another HR person. So I'm hoping that vendors become a little more reasonable in what they charge for APIs. I think the school-based vendors are pretty reasonable, but it's, it's those ones that don't work with schools much that i've run into uh, some issues
5: and i think i'll tag onto bernie's answer i think there are a lot of tools that we have that have apis which is great but a lot that are missing that one thing i was using one the other day and i was like well it says you have that and you dig into support and they said yeah that doesn't exist and having those really great vendors who are willing to iterate and improve those API endpoints. Some are have really robust communities about that and they're really transparent and they are updating that regularly. And some, it is it is what it is and it's not going to change or there's no you have no idea if it's going to change. So I would love just like more, I think just more in general.
1: More in general. That's a great place to leave it. I'm grateful for your answers on the magic wand question because I have no doubt that this podcast Once it drops, we'll create some discussion on the access points, discussion boards, the Atlas hosts. I think that knowing what your magic wand wish list is may generate some feedback and some discussion. And I certainly encourage all of our listeners to continue to connect in with the Atlas community in that way. If you've heard something that sparks either questions or ideas from this podcast, go over to our discussion boards and let's have some communication. Our vendors are there to help support us. Our community is there to support each other. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you all for your expertise and for kind of laying out there all the good, bad, and ugly parts of this work that you've been doing. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, and we'll continue the conversation online.
0: This has been Talking Technology with Atlas, produced by the Association of Technology Leaders in Independent Schools. For more information about Atlas and Atlas membership, please visit theatlas.org. If you enjoyed this discussion, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your colleagues in the independent school community. Thank you for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Toddle. Atlas thanks our vendor partners for their support.